Well, we're going to um, we're going to dive into into James two this morning, and as you have heard, there's a few bits and pieces in there that um, we need to unpack. So, if we are looking at the book of James, just a real quick recap on last week. James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. So, it's a wisdom book. It's the purpose of James is for us to gather wisdom, uh, wisdom to to know how to live and act and think like Jesus in our world. And so James, he starts off um, in in chapter one by telling us that suffering is not the result of a lack of faith, but that in fact suffering and trials is the place where, where faith is tested. It's the place where there's growth and maturity. It's the place where we find greater trust in Jesus and we actually discover what wisdom is. Um, he, he encourages us that if we choose to embrace suffering and choose to seek and trust and obey the wisdom of God through our suffering, that, that eventually we will grow up spiritually and emotionally. He, he reminds us that when we trust God through the trials, we actually become more together than we have ever been, more complete and more whole. As we journey through the trials, we actually find that we, we find the integrity of our identity. We no longer live double-minded and duplicit lives, but we are having a convergence of our identity. Um, and, and he reminds us that following Jesus is more than just a confession, but it's actually a conviction that lines up with our, our confession. So he tells us that when we don't live with a conviction that we actually live conflicted. We live double-minded. But trust in Jesus and his way of living and thinking and acting will actually produce integrity of our identity. We'll actually start to be complete and whole. So essentially, James is calling followers of Jesus to become truly wise and live fully devoted to the life and teachings of Jesus. And so, um, and so the purpose of this book is wisdom, that, that we would know how to live. Um, and so as we read through the book of James, my mum always used to say that um, the Bible was kind of like a, um, a chocolate almond. You know, like it's, it, there's some scriptures that are sweet and nice and soft and they're tasty. And, and then sometimes we get down into them and they're a little bit nutty. And you've got to kind of chew on them a little bit more. Like there's a bit more to them than just this nice, sweet uh, loveliness that actually some stuff is challenging. I, I actually believe that if we are truly following Jesus, then uh, our categories of thought will be challenged. We'll be challenged in the way that we think. We'll be challenged in the way that we act, the way that we treat others. Um, we will be, our pride will be challenged. We'll be challenged into, into living with more humble lives. And I would like to suggest if, if, uh, if what you are currently doing as following Jesus is not producing those things, then possibly you are not following Jesus. That's a challenge, isn't it? So, James 2, one of the nutty ones. <laughs> so James starts out with this, my brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've just heard Phil read this for us, and he's, he's challenging this idea of favoritism that we would favor other people over others, that we would favor those that have more money or appear to have it all together over others. Essentially, James is saying that showing favoritism is actually inconsistent with God's character. It's anti-gospel. It's the opposite to the way God wants us to live. And it's, and it's actually incompatible. So James starts with this. 
those that hold the faith in our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. So to show favoritism is actually incompatible with those who hold faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus put it like this. He actually said, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He went on to say, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And he goes on to say, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this is this idea of being complete, being whole. Don't be duplicit. Don't be one person over here and another person over there. Actually, yeah, actually when we follow Jesus, we will become more integrous. We'll actually be put back together and become whole. Uh, one version puts it like this. In a word, when he's referencing this, this verse about being perfect, um, in a word, what I am saying is, grow up. <laughs> your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. See, James was worried that, that people in the church were beginning to treat the poor as society around them were treating the poor, um, as people to be shamed and looked down upon. And so James is echoing the teachings of Jesus here and, and makes the point that if we contribute to the system and support the system that's going on in the world, the church is no better than the world around us. And actually, we are the ones who are supposed to be demonstrating a different way of living. And so who knows that James is actually calling the church, there's this system going on in the world and we must disrupt it. We must live differently. So James is helping us to grasp that judging people and judging their outward appearance and actions is actually the opposite to the love that God has shown us. He's calling us to live by two yeses. Yes to all and a yes to love. We must love all. So if we don't have love for our fellow humans, particularly those at the bottom of the system, then there's a good chance that fear and judgment are actually at the center of our theology and not Jesus. See, John says in 1 John that perfect love casts out fear and that we, have, that we, as followers of Jesus, should have no fear on the day of judgment because in this world we have become like Jesus. I'll unpack that a little bit as we move along, but, but we must understand that comparison is actually a form of judging. And this Garden of Eden story tells us that we are continually faced with two choices. So we go back to the start of the story of the Bible. The Garden of Eden tells us that we are continually faced with two choices through our life. We can either live a life of grasping and taking from others, or we can choose to live life in union with God through Jesus. These are the two choices we have every day. And so we know from the story of the garden that Adam and Eve chose autonomy from God. What did they want to be? They wanted to be the judges. Let us be the judges. Let us determine what's right or wrong. We, we, we know better than you, God. And the result of that is that they ended up judging God. We thought you were an angry God. They judged themselves. We were naked and ashamed. And they judged others. She did it. Yeah? No, no, it was the serpent's fault. See, the result of living separate from God is actually we walk through life being judges, trying to be comparing our own life to others to try and make ourselves feel better about ourselves. That's ultimately what goes on. And so once we head down this track, we inevitably need a scapegoat. 
What is a scapegoat? What is scapegoating? It's when I try to feel clean at someone else's expense. See, often it's much easier for us to hate or blame someone or someone else than recognize, recognize our own weaknesses, yeah? She made me do it. He's guilty. He deserves it. They are the problem. They are the bad one here. And we often unconsciously do it, eh? And James is trying to pull us out of that kind of way of living and thinking. So what James is unpacking here is that when we actually live that kind of way, where we compare our lives to one another's, what we actually do is, is create um, someone else's behavior as the standard or the law that we are trying to live by rather than the life and love of Jesus. Right? So we're going to look at this real quick. But in, in 2 Corinthians 2, 10 verse 12, Paul puts it like this. He says, of course, we wouldn't put ourselves in the same class or compare ourselves with those who rate themselves so highly. They compare themselves to one another and make up their own standards to measure themselves by. And then they judge themselves by their own standards. What self-delusion. See, James moves on to this thought in verse 8 about making the, law, making the law of liberty or the law of love our standard, not our judgments of each other. So this is, this is how he puts it in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, let's unpack this, because that's like a real confusing little bit, hey. Like, is, is, is James saying here that if we do one thing wrong, then we're, then we're like judged by everything? And, you know, like that's impossible, isn't it? And, and we know that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which James is reflecting on, said that, it, that, you know, the law of love takes us to a higher level of, you know, even if we have hate for a brother, then we've committed murder. And, like, if that's the case, then we're all screwed, eh? Uh, um, is it just me? No one else here has ever had a hateful thought to anyone, eh? To walk in the law of liberty and to fulfill all the laws, to walk in love, all right? Paul put it like this in 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, for we reach the goal of fulfilling all the commandments when we love others deeply with a pure heart, a clean conscience, and sincere faith. So what James is saying here is that we must speak and act toward each other as people also in need of great mercy from God. See, in that humility, in that sense of saying, I am in need of mercy every day. I am in need of mercy every day. Then we look at others through the eyes of humility, through the eyes of grace, and through the eyes of mercy. And we're not going to show favoritism if we're looking through those eyes. 
So Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, James is saying that a recognition of our own need for mercy is paramount to living in humility and love towards others. And to judge is to suggest that we are not in need of mercy. To judge others is to suggest that we have got it more together than other people. And he also says in verse 13, and remember that judgment is merciless for the one who judges others without mercy. So here's the point, right? The garden tells us that we're not good judges. Jesus' parable of the wheat and tears tells us that we're not good judges. But if we choose to be judges, we are actually choosing to be judged by the whole law. This is the point James is making. You can't pick and choose. We can't choose one standard for ourselves and then another for others. We can't say that one person's sin is worse than mine. See, James is saying, if you want the law to be the standard that you judge others by, then you yourself will be judged by the whole law. You can't pick one part of the law to judge others because in doing so, we are actually judging ourselves by the whole law. And I don't want that. I don't value anybody else. <laughs> Give me mercy, amen. James is actually saying there's a better way to live. There's a better way to live. How about we all admit that we are all sinners in need of mercy? How about we just all admit that, that we all fall short of the glory of God and that every day when we wake up, we thank God for his mercy that is new every day and through those eyes we can look at others and say there is mercy for them too. And this is what James is telling us. He's saying that if we walk around judging others, then actually we are bringing the law on top of ourselves. This is not a good way to live. But actually there's a better way to live, to love your neighbor as I have loved you. See, this is what James is picking up on. Jesus actually said, the law said that we are to love others as our neighbor, sorry, as, as we love ourselves. Jesus took it to another level and said, love others how I have loved you. Come on, James is saying, listen, the better way to live is to understand that the source of love is not you. The source of love is him. We aren't one another's standard. Isn't that freeing? Come on. What a better way to live. I'm not trying to be like you. I'm trying to be like Jesus. Hey. I'm keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus because in this world, I want to be like him. Come on, I don't want to be like Haynes. He's a great guy, but I don't want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus. All right, listen, here, here we go. Let's unpack this real quickly and then we'll move on to the next point. See, once we are acutely aware of our own need for mercy, every day we are able to extend grace and mercy to those around us. Freely we have received, freely give. And once we are acutely aware that we are deeply loved, then we no longer need to find a scapegoat to judge so that we can feel better about ourselves because we know that we are loved. He is the source of our security and our, our identity. Now let me 
let me put it like this so we can transition into the next part. A recognition of our own need for mercy protects us from judging, which is passive inaction. I, I am no longer going to do judging. All right, so think about it like passive inaction. A deep recognition of God's love towards us spurs us into love for others, which is active faith in action. All right? One part is going to stop us from judging, which is good. The next part, recognition of God's love, is actually going to spur us into faith in action. All right? Great segue into the next bit, Michael. Cool. Faith without works is dead. All right? James, James really is emphasizing through this whole passage that, that faith looks like something. Hey, like if there could be a hashtag for this passage, it would be faith looks like something. And so, so this is like the contentious part about the passage because there has been a lot of debate about this over the years. In fact, Martin Luther uh, actually didn't want James in the Bible over this very part of the Bible, all right? this very part of the passage, because, because he, he had this big, you know, the Reformation that, uh, he, you know, the Protestant Reformation where, the, where, where they pulled away from the Catholic way of thinking, which was to do with works, that we are saved by works, all right? And, and uh, Martin Luther, he read the Bible and said, I don't think this is what the Bible was about. Actually, I think we're saved through faith. All right, and so there was this whole debate, and, and James clearly says, hey, it's not just faith, but it's works. And Martin Luther's going, well, that's opposite to what Paul's teaching, so how do we reconcile this? All right, let me give you some thoughts on it, all right? Um, I believe that, is, that it is, James is not contradicting Paul, but he is creating a, a guardrail on the other side of the fence, okay? So think about it like this. Paul's teaching on faith and James' teaching on faith are like guardrails to keep us safe. So Paul says that we are saved by faith, that, that no matter how good you are, that is actually faith in Jesus that we are saved, all right? So you can't just go, well, you know, I've been a really, really good person. This is what Paul, this is the guardrail that Paul was setting up. Now, James is setting up the guardrail where you can't just say, well, I've confessed Jesus and I can live my life however I want, thank you very much. He's creating this other guardrail. And actually saying, listen, if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then it will look like something. Your confession has to, there has to be a conviction that lines up with your confession. And it will look like something. See, faith is an active expression of allegiance to Jesus, not a passive confession. See, James is addressing Christians who may give lip service to Jesus but give little thought to the life and teachings of Jesus and our obedience to these things. See, the early church had two creeds, Jesus saves and Jesus is Lord. Those two creeds help us with these guardrails as well. Jesus saves means that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. You need Jesus guardrail. Jesus as Lord means that you have given allegiance to Jesus, which means that you have devoted your life to him and his way of living, thinking, and acting in our world. Guardrail. They both have to be traveling together for us to follow Jesus well. Yeah? You can see where the tension is though, eh? 
But I just want to reiterate one thing, all right? And we're we're sort of picking up on this passage of 1 John throughout, um, that we have no fear about judgment because in this world we have become like Jesus. All right, this is the point. The point is, is this, all right? If my heart is allegiance to Jesus, then I want to become like him. Just live that way. John just boils it down to that. You say you love Jesus, then follow him. That's the safest way to live. You've got no fear on judgment, Dave, is when you come to stand before God, you just say, man, I just live trying to be like Jesus. I wasn't trying to look for the formulas. Yeah? And who knows, it's so easy to look for the formulas, eh? You know, how do we get to heaven when we die? Well, actually, the Bible doesn't ever tell us that. It just says, do you want to follow Jesus? Then give him your life. You've got the rich young ruler who, who comes to Jesus, and he basically says, I've got everything in this world. He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. He's got it all going on. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, he says what must I do to inherit eternal life or life everlasting? What, what's he asking? He's saying, I've got everything in this life. I want the cherry on top. And Jesus doesn't, you know, he, he, he starts off by saying, hey, you know, have you obeyed the law? And the guy's like, yeah, I've done everything. But, but Jesus is not giving him a formula. He's actually addressing the one thing that, that uh, is actually stopping him from giving allegiance to Jesus. He, he works out really quick that this guy's allegiance is to money, not to Jesus. And so he says, sell everything and give it to the poor. <laughs> well, I, I can't do that. I just wanted the cherry on top. Well, Jesus is like, it doesn't work like that, my friend. This is not a formula. Do you want to follow me or not? <laughs> this, is, this is what it's about. Anyway. <laughs> so James is making the case here that, that, that works are to faith what the breath is to the body. It's a sign of life. Yeah, a faith without works is like a body without breath. It's dead. I haven't, oh, have we got questions? Okay, we've got some questions coming in. I've got, I didn't even, I forgot to say about questions. If you've got questions, fire them through on the number there. Um, I'll give you one thought and then we'll jump to questions. All right, so, so faith and works. Remember, James is, the whole time he's reflecting on the teachings of Jesus. And I'm sure that as I read this, I'm sure that he's thinking about the golden rule. The golden rule is this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So, so sometimes we reduce the, the golden rule to the silver rule, which might go a little bit more like this. Don't do unto others what you don't want done to you. All right, and so what, what that means is it's actually, I mean, it's good, eh? Don't do to others what you don't want done to you is good, but that's actually a passive, um, a passive way of looking at this. But, but um, see, see, good works is not about not doing bad things, it's about intentionally doing good things. This is what Jesus is saying. Do unto others what you want done to them. It's, it's not a passive, well, I'm not going to say something nasty to that person because I wouldn't want them to say something nasty to me. No, it's actually going, I would say something nice to this person because that's what I would like done to me. It's, it's not a passive look at it. It's actually an active look at it. All right, so one emphasizes the in, intentional inaction of bad towards others and the other emphasizes the intentional action of good towards others. 
faith in action. Is this what James is getting at? Good, eh? All right, questions. Sorry, they're all coming in at once. Uh, so some Christians believe that Christians have a responsibility of judging believers. Can you explain that thinking in the context of James and mercy? Cool. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, some people would say to me, Michael, the Bible never actually says that we shouldn't judge. Technically, you are right. Um, but here, here's the point. All right. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm totally sure that James is reflecting on, uh, Jesus says this: "To the measure that you judge, it will be measured back to you." All right. So, he doesn't specifically say. Do not judge, although he does say, uh, Paul says we shouldn't judge those in the world, but, um, or those outside the church, but um, specifically, so, he, so here's the thought, right? Je- Jesus is saying, listen, you can judge others, be very, very, very careful, because when you judge them, this is what James is saying, if you judge them by one portion of the law, you have judged yourself by the whole law. And James is saying, listen, there's a better way to live. Live by the law of love. So technically, sure, you can judge. Go for it. I'm not going to join you. (laughs) All right. So, oh, gosh, there's more coming through. Uh, So someone just um, shared a scripture. They said another scripture to help bridge the tension that I can think of. So in Philippians 2.13, continue to work out our salvation, your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to, to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Yeah, great. I mean, uh, the context of that passage is, is church unity. Um, and so I think one of the major emphasis that Paul was saying is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Stop looking to everybody else to work out whether you're doing all right. Look to Jesus. Work out your own salvation. That's the, that's the context of that verse, which I think really, really ties in well with it. Great. Uh, so this one's just come through. Would it be true to say that if we have enough of Jesus dominant in us, enough of Jesus in us, that when we go about daily life doing our stuff, Jesus will naturally shine through and we will naturally act like Jesus. So we do stuff for people regardless of their spiritual or natural life choices. Um, yes, the answer in short is, is yes. The answer to that is yes. Um, um, I'll, I'll share a thought in a minute about that. Um, I think the key thing here, I mean, we talked a few weeks ago about the critical journey and we're doing that with Awaken You at the moment. I would suggest that that doesn't really start to become um, the, the natural way of your life until you have moved through the wall. Because it's at that place that we actually surrender our old nature. And before that, we have a whole lot of ourselves caught up in it. And that's where all that comparison and all that stuff comes through. So, so people, the people that are sort of living at, at stages five and six, definitely it's just, there's, it, the focus is so on Jesus that, it's, that we naturally spill him out. And, um, but before that, there, there is a lot of working out the flesh and all of that sort of stuff that's going on. Yeah. Uh, what's the difference between judgment and discernment? Um, yeah, okay. So I think um, discernment should always be done in community. 
Um, often we, we are judges on our own, um, but discernment should be done in community. Um, and discernment is a gift that should build up the body of Christ. Um, it should add value to others. Uh, I would say the difference between discernment and judgment is that discernment um, has a heart of love. Judgment has a heart of fear and comparison. Um, and often we, I think um, um, suspicion is a, is a poor counterfeit for discernment. And so sometimes people can be suspicious and then label as discernment. Um, if it is not lifting others up, then it was probably not from the Spirit of God. Yeah. All right, last one. Um, how do you help people to guard their heart and mind from, tripping into, from tipping into the belief that their works is not towards salvation but from it? It's easy to know the word. It's sometimes it's a wrestle to not want recognition for your good deeds. Yeah, 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 good, um, good question. I, I think, again, um, often um, with, with good works, doing good deeds, um, you know, so Jesus challenges us or teaches us not to practice them in front of others. And so a really good way to work out whether you're doing it for affirmation is if you're determined on doing it in front of others. You know, he says, don't let the left hand see what the right hand is doing. Um, and so, um, I, I, yeah, and this is the tension. This is the tension, is that we can sometimes get into a mindset that doing good um, brings some sort of favor into our lives. Um, but actually, when we understand that we are favored, that we are loved, naturally we do good to others. Um, <laughs> one's right and one's wrong. Wisdom is... is is knowing the difference between the two, eh? Uh, I think the key thing here is don't get caught up in trying to do good works. Fix your eyes on Jesus and allow it just to happen naturally. Yeah? The key, that's the key thing. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Who, whoever we behold, we become. Yeah? And, and so if I'm, if I'm comparing, compare, comparing my life, I'm, you know, so I'm beholding Sarah as an example of how I should live as a believer, I'm going to end up becoming like Sarah. And no, I want to become like Jesus. And so, yeah. Is that it? There is a couple more if you're willing. Yeah, yeah, music team can come up and then we'll um, finish. Yep. All right. Uh, I'll give you the curly one first and I'll read the passage that's with it. So what do you make of 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3, since you say that we're not to judge the world? Aren't we supposed to call out wrongdoings to others? Uh, in the passage there, so, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world is to be judged by you, you are incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we're to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? Yeah, so um, the passage, the verse before that, if you read it, all of it, um, says that we should not judge the world. Um, so, I, th I think when it's referring to we will judge angels, I think that has to do with an eschatological future rather than, um, rather than right now. So I, I think you probably need to read that in its context, um, not just read one verse. Cool, all right. Um, great, okay, let me... Um, Let me just give a couple of thoughts and then we'll, then we'll, then we'll gather around communion. 
So when it comes to um, the thought on the rich young ruler that I, I said before, um, let me give you an analogy. I was explaining something t- to someone recently. They were asking me about, um, you know, demonic stuff that may be in a in a home, in a, in a house, and can they be? Can could that be attached to certain objects in a home? Um, and so I, I, I gave this thought. I, I I believe yes, but only things that we have given power to. Um, so these objects that may be in our homes. Um, uh, inanimate objects. It could be a, a little Buddha statue or, a, you know, whatever. It could be any sort of form of idol thing that's in our home. And they were sort of asking, how do we know which ones are bad and which ones are good? Um, and so I was given it in this context that someone might come into your home and say, hey, there's a few things here. Maybe you should remove some of them. And some of them might have some demonic thing going on and some won't. And how do we know which one is which? Generally the one that they don't want to get rid of. Yeah? The rich young ruler, Jesus was, you know, we we say things like that, which sort of works out, you know, discernment, which is the right one because the one that the heart is attached to, the one they're not willing to give up. This is what's happening with the rich young ruler. Jesus is getting straight to the heart of the one thing they're not willing to give up. And so for us, when we're called into allegiance with Jesus and he says, come and follow me, um, there could be any, all sorts of things that we're just not willing to give up. Maybe it's, maybe it's money. Maybe it is money. Maybe we just can't part with money. Um, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's it's lust. You know the the scriptures talk about the three the three you know the three sins. You know the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's probably in one of those three things. So let me give you one last thought. I was using one John four. Let me read it for you. In this way, love has been perfected among us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. For in this world, we are just like Him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love, but we love because He first loved us. You know, we are, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. When we, when we give our lives to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want to be like you. And we go through the waters of baptism, which are like a picture, a faith step. It's like pointing to the cross and saying, there is where I died. And in the resurrection is my new life. So we're a new creation. And so something has changed on the inside of us. This is what makes uh, the Christian faith different from every other religion is that we are talking about something that you cannot do the change of the heart, the new spirit within you, the death of your old nature, the resurrection of your Christ's nature in you. You can't do that. But then there's this also this element of, um, of the renewing of the mind. But who knows that, that we don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden we are like, like perfect, eh? Do you know what I mean? 
Like something has been perfected on the inside of us, but we still walk with stuff that is hanging over us and all that, all that kind of thing. Here's what I would like to suggest, that, that on this side we have our new creation and, and we have been renewed from the inside out. And then on this side we start to walk towards that new creation in faith and saying, this is who I have been made and so therefore today I'm going to make the choices that lead me towards my identity. And we start to see a convergence not only of who we are on the inside, but now our outward behavior is like lining up with who God has made us on the inside. When this is not just a passive, well, God made me new, so he better do it. No, no, yes, God has made me new. Now in faith, walk towards your new identity. This, this is what it means. When faith and our works come together, in faith we walk towards who we've been made in Jesus. And we start to see the integrity of our identity start to take shape. Well, isn't it beautiful?